Hello and welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack, and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about Toronto FC hosting New England Revolution, Whitecaps, and again, the dreaded VAR story. Liverpool at top of the table. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer crashes his car in Wolverhampton. Alfonso <laughs> Davies opens up his account in Germany. We'll talk about the Champions League draw, Messi, and much more. This is the midnight edition, Stephen Caldwell, of Football Podcast. This is a late one, yes. It's a late one, um, fresh off our broadcast on uh, the TSN side from BMO Field. We are now um, a little bit warmer. Uh, you still got your tie on, which is very impressive, mate. Mine's come <laughs> Thank off. Thank you, mate. Very impressive as ever, looking sharp and dapper. Um, here we go. Toronto FC 3, New England Revolution 2. Much to discuss. We will get into the big storylines and the big controversies uh, that happened right at, before the end of the first half shortly. But in the end, TFC grounded out. The only perfect record in the Eastern Conference. Two wins from two. Job done, three points. Yeah, job done, three points. I think it's more about the result in the three points than it is about the, the overall performance. There was moments, uh, periods of the, the, the match where TFC were very good and yeah. then there was moments where they had lost their way a little bit, in my opinion, and and that attack looked like it didn't really have any great ideas how it was going to try and penetrate New England Revolution. Uh, but I think all in all, the three points was, was a crucial thing. You know, getting off to a, a bad start, losing another early goal is disappointing, but then to... Uh, come back and I think when they lost the goal they were a better team KJ I don't know what you think about that but mm. they were on top and they were playing some good stuff I thought in the first 30 minutes um, and then second half was I think I called it a grind on the broadcast it was just a grind to kind of somehow try and come away with the three points and they, they did that a nice little move an awful goal to concede from New England's point of view but really good ball from Bradley and Morrow who was his usual self he was up and down he's just I thought relentless. it was excellent actually he's yeah. relentless isn't he yeah. on that left hand side and a great ball just fed it into an area didn't try and pick anyone out mm. put it in a dangerous spot and hoped that the movement of his strikers would would be sufficient and, and have enough quality Lo and behold, the man that comes off the bench, the man in the moment, the, the designated player, just signed his new contract a few weeks ago. Jose Altador gets the winning goal. Yeah, it felt like it was meant to happen, didn't it? He was almost like a prized fighter coming yeah. into the ring when he was coming off the, uh, the bench and the whole crowd just got up for it and actually give the crowd a, cr a lot of credit for it. It was felt like a bit more of a European atmosphere where they, they were very aware of it right away. They were very aware of him coming on the yeah. field at that moment and they gave it to him, uh, the reception that I think he obviously wanted and, and had hoped for. You talk about the early goals. Last season, they considered 64 goals in Major League Soccer. 13 in the first 15 minutes to start the first half. 15 in the first 15 minutes to start the second half. Um, so basically, that's 33% of the match where they considered 44% of their goals last season. And again, a goal early in the first half. And this one, when Mavinga gave away what was a reckless challenge and a 100% a penalty. And then the second one, again, defensive laps on the, on the, on the Carlos Hill goal, deflected off Auro. But again, right away to start the second half where I felt like with, after the controversy of 2-1 it could have gone the other way where New England were the ones disappointed with it but TFC again I thought really started slow we'll get to some positives in a minute but that's a bit concerning for me conceding two goals at home in the manner that they did and the time that they did yeah I, I thought the first half when TFC were the you know the team on top I yeah, thought they started the first half really well and then you know I, I would blame Mavinga particularly but maybe the defensive unit for you know, allowing Teal Bunbury to get in behind. It was it was a ball that was played down the channel, a little bit innocuous. Mavinga felt that it was just going to bounce in the turf and drift into that channel. And he switched off for a second. Teal Bunbury had a, a, a really good match, actually, but a wonderful touch inside. And then at that moment, you know, one thing about Teal Bunbury is that, 
he's never really been a prolific finisher. No. So one part of his game that's maybe lacking a little bit. So why are you making a rash challenge there like that? On the angle, trust your goalkeeper. You've made the error. Don't come in with a challenge. There's no way he could get the ball from the angle he was tackling. And he, he brought Bunbury over. And, you know, after a good start, they find themselves... 1-0 down, Carlos Heel just puts it into the top corner. Great penalty, yeah. Great penalty. And then the incident happened and, and because of the start of the second half, there was a little bit of cause there for New England. They started it well and TFC just looked like they had, they had zero energy and, 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 you know, not on the front foot like they were in the first half and it gave New England impetus to, to go and take the game to them and a terrible second goal to concede. Auro was was just standing off. I don't know why he didn't go tight to Carlos Heel. It was mm. it was a weird one, wasn't it? You see, I I understand why players defend with their hands behind their back these days, but I never like it. It just looks it looks like, you know, that they're, they're not that interested in getting near the ball and he was he left them, you know, two yards of space and a player of his qualities going to find the corner. Takes a slight deflection off Auro and, and wrong foots uh, Alex Bono. And lo and behold, they find themselves level and TFC are in a right battle at that point, yeah. aren't they? They, yeah. they? Their attacking play was nowhere near as incisive as it was in the first half. No, it wasn't. And let's carry on the floor of the game. We'll get back. We'll get to this controversial moment in a minute and, I, and answer some of your questions. And we've got some great ones. And by the way, so many people stopped me tonight at BMO Field and said thanks and congratulations on the podcast. So we, I always appreciate that. That's really yeah, nice to hear. Really Thank do. you. Thank you. Um, the 3 2 goal. Juan Agudelo is brought on by New England at that point. And New England played a, a, basically a 4-3-2-1 or, or 4-3-1-2 with, with Hill given a free roll and Fagundes playing high. Yeah. I was down on the sidelines and I said on the broadcast, Brad Friedel at one point said, Diego, uh, Mavinga can't run. Yeah. <laughs> Target him, stay with him. And then when Agudelo came on, he made sure to tell them after TFC had gone to three, he said to Agadello and Bunbury, stay on Simon and Mavinga. There was a clear identity and yeah. plan that he wanted to do that. Forget more. He wanted to go man-to-man with those two. He still had Hill on the field as well. And at that point at 2-2, we've watched New England twice already before this game. I thought he might just go back to his normal 4-4-1-1 yeah. and play Bunbury out wide, Agadello up top with Hill just behind and really pack it in. You know, 2-2 away from home at TFC. You've scored two goals. The likelihood of you getting a third away from home is slim. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. He went at it. And I actually think that... Was a bit naive and he handed TFC the impetus because again Morrow got that run down that wing as you mentioned because it was not really tracked all day it was a tactical battle yeah and he was able to play the ball in I, um, Io Canolo scored his first MLS goal makes a really good run to the far post to the front post yeah to take away some really defenders. good really good intelligent run and that left Altador free at the back post and it's one of those the moment he hit it you knew it was going in right? yeah so um, maybe thoughts on on what you felt was the was the tactical shift for doing because I thought that maybe he shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I was shocked from the start. We saw Brad Friedel's New England play with four four one one since his, his first game, I think, and I can't remember wavering him wavering from that many times. And so uh, when I saw Fagundes up top, there was some you know talk about that, and just didn't think it was going to happen. Um, it was strange. Fagundes couldn't get in the game. That wasn't his position. So when they were going with the two up top. I thought they would have been better going with Agudelo yes. and, and Bunbury from the start. Um, but I don't think it worked particularly well in the first half. It left a lot of space for Morrow to exploit. Chapman was coming inside. By naturally just comes in that little bit uh, in the right back roll. And then Morrow was just bombing down the left-hand side. You don't need, need to give him two invitations to get forward. Justin Morrow is one of the best attacking left-backs in MLS. And he has been for a good few years now. And um, second half was quite interesting. You, you mentioned it there, KJ. They, they went higher, didn't they? And, and Carlos Hill, who was floating around in the first half, going deep, picking the ball up, playing more like a midfielder, 
became like a false number nine and, and it, it, it penned TFC in a little bit. It made it difficult for them to get out and it created more pressure and allowed New England to play the game in, in TFC's defensive half. And I thought that was smart. And you're right, when it goes to to you would have thought that Brad Friedo would have said, okay, back to our more conventional 4-4 block with a one in the one to try and just tighten it up a little bit and maybe, maybe hit TFC in the break for the third goal rather than go for it and really go for the throat. It's commendable. I always yeah. like when you see positivity from a coach, but when it doesn't work, then, you know, you have to question it. And I think that uh, in the end, that space was there for Moro. A great ball over the top from Bradley and the movement from the strikers just gave Altador a chance he was never going to miss. The, one, the reason, one of the reasons why I bring it up is, and I get most of our listeners care very little about New England tactically, but I do think it's interesting to keep an eye on it. I think it's another example of a team that is quite conservative in Major League Soccer yeah. coming into BMO Field and not being intimidated and going we're going to have a go here you know uh, keep an eye on that by the yeah. way because it's not the same TFC before they see they scout these teams they see clear weaknesses yeah. and even at 2-2 felt that they, that TFC were very vulnerable it didn't work out for them no. but it doesn't mean to say that what they what the, the thought process behind it I think is something that we keep we can all keep an eye on why they did it yeah and they've went you know New England have went into BMO Field and scored two goals mm. and could have scored more there was no moment in the match that I felt TFC really had it solid and, right. and, and tightened up and I think that that tells you the vulnerabilities within TFC and the, the confidence like you say these away teams are coming into BMO Field and uh, I, I don't consider New England Revolution anywhere near one of the most potent threats in MLS no. so keep your eyes on it when LAFC and, and, and Seattle and, uh, and Atlanta are struggling at the moment but a team like Atlanta come into BMO Field NYC DC FC. United NYC next, we could go on game, yeah. some of the quality of the attacks will be licking their lips watching the highlights of, of TFC tonight even though they got the three points there's a real vulnerability there whether they play four or three there just seems to be that frailty and, and decision making mm. between someone at the back. Uh, unfortunately for Mavinga and, and Simon, it's been them this season. You expect more a consistency from Drew Moore. And again, he never really put a foot wrong tonight. No, he didn't. And, you know, you mentioned some of the other quality teams in, in Major League Soccer. I tweeted this out. So I did some research on this on the weekend. TFC were the only team this season in MLS to play a front six of North American players. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely remarkable. When you think about it, every team right now has got one of those, at least one of an overseas special player. Yeah. Uh, TFC's, TFC's guy's coming, but he's not here yet. Um, let's get to the big moment of the match. Um, in Obviously, first half stoppage time, Jordan Hamilton gets a 2-1 goal. I'm down on the sidelines. Everything's going crazy. I'm getting ready for my halftime interview. Brad Friedel goes absolutely ballistic at the officials. <laughs> um, and, you know, for those who've seen it, you know where, where we're going here. The rule is what we're pro we have a problem with. We have no reason to believe why the goal was, was given. The goal was given by the letter of the law for the rule of what the, the officials are playing by. Yeah. You know, the, the rule rule 11 that was that was changed a little bit in 2017. Um, in this case, the defender moves his foot towards the ball to intercept it. That's considered a deliberate act and negates the offside position. Um, that's now what they're globally instructed to do. We've seen a little bit like the Sterling one that we talked about last week with yeah. Watford, even though that was a little bit different because Sterling was obviously playing in, in, in Yamak, it was a little bit closer. But the defender here, Delamere, at this point, I felt for him because yeah. he has to make that as a defender. He has to make the clearance. He has no time to look over his shoulder to see whether that player's onside or offside. And as we said, rules are put in place to stop unfair advantages. And there's without question, Jay Chapman standing four yards offside and that allows the, to, to score the goal. So the rule in its place, it, it, for me, the, I understand why it stood, um, but it's a complete and utter farce, mate. It's yeah. a farce. Yeah, it's a ridiculous rule. And um, I have particular 
grievances with with this being an ex central Defend, defending's hard enough as it is, no? Casey, it's it's so hard to in a nanosecond to think about all the things we're asking Delamere from New England to to process in his brain at that moment between the uh, you know the decision to, to to go to the ground to get up to get back into defensive shape to really try hard to intercept the ball he can't know if his left back's deeper or if his right back's fell down he can't process that quickly enough of course his natural reaction is to put his foot out into the ball and, and, and try and intercept it and because of a slight touch it then makes a, a, a poor run from Jay Chapman mm. four yards offside you're right he's not even close for him shouldn't even matter if it's close but he's not even close he's four yards offside to then be played onside there was there was one thing that I recognised that the assistant referee put his flag up then for some reason he's probably told by the, the referee back down again because of that touch mm. so there's confusion there as well because Delamere sees that out of the corner of his eye stops playing stops playing not saying that he would have got back to Jay Chapman but to stop playing and then to um, to, to for the play to be allowed to go on and we always say play to the whistle but realistically when you see that flag go up you switch off for that second or two that really matters yeah and then the ball goes into a box and, and Hamilton's there and you know he's delighted for the gift but uh, he, he, how can we say that that guy's in a position that he can intercept that ball I, I get it I know what the rule says I understand to the letter of the law it, it may have been the right decision but I just feel that the defender has to be in a position comfortably to intercept that ball for that to be offside, I just I'm I'm never going to accept it. I, I played the game and I just don't think it's the right thing, and I don't think that anybody who's on the opposite end of that would have been happy with it. You know, everyone who was uh, who was in New England were, were incensed, and if it was TFC, it would have been the same thing. Yeah, look, you, it's a great way of putting it. I don't really say anything else. What the other thing I'd say is that you're giving a clear advantage to a team that thinks it's okay to pass to a guy who's four yards offside. Yeah. <laughs> How stupid is that, yeah. by the way? You know, that pass is being made, and no one, at that point, the, no one's thinking, oh, okay, he might just touch this here, we might get away with it. That's not how it, that, you work. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're playing a ball to a guy who's cl not close to being onside, <laughs> and then, oh, suddenly he touches it. Oh, great, now I can go in on a clear run on goal and pass it to my mate who puts it in the back of the net. I would and actually love to know what Jay Chapman was thinking, KJ, yeah. would you? Because you would think he would sort of put his hands up and come back That's towards right. the ball but he uh, he's right on to it I don't know if he even thinks about that or he just takes a chance and, and puts it in there but um, you know it was um, it was a, a, a big moment in the match and uh, what a ridiculous rule I, you know we've, we've had so many discussions about this one yeah. incident at BMO Field with some great officials in the game either through in person or through text and um, I get why it happens. I, I don't need people to explain it. I know what the rule means and that. I just know what it's like to be on that field and it's a ridiculous rule. Yeah. It can't be allowed. No, I talked to Greg Vanny about it at halftime on the broadcast as well. We alluded to the fact that it happened to TFC last year against New England and against Independiente at home, by the way, with the Lawrence Simon header when the player was yeah. behind him as well. So it's happened to them as well. Um, quickly, before we get to the Whitecaps and more talk about referees, um, quick whip around. A few people are asking me questions following the game on hashtag AskAFP. Tim Stockton is one of those. Um, Ravi or also wants to talk about the formation and um, there's, a, but there's a number of questions here. Travis Martin, all of them asking the same thing. What is the ideal formation for Toronto FC? 3-5-2, 4-4-2. Ravi says switching to the 3-5-2 in the second half was unexpected. Um, should this be their regular formation? We 
were surprised that he went to a three yeah. as well, weren't we? I don't think at this point they have any tactical identity no. right now, this club. No. Um, and look, they're trying to find it, but right now we've gone from 4-3-3 to 4-4-2 to 3-5-2 to 4-4-2 to back 3-5-2. You know, it's, yeah, it's just chopping around. And maybe we've that's, seen it during games, haven't we? Yeah, and I think maybe that's um, as a result of the recruitment still to come. But yeah. at this point, to answer the question, what's the best shape? I still don't know what the best shape is. And I don't know if they do. No, I don't think they do. And I think that Greg Vanny would like to see uh, certain formations played, but he has players that has to get in the team. And, and, and so they're maybe not quite as suited to that certain shape. I think mm. that's what the dilemma is in his head. Um, my personal opinion is that that, um, that three four two one is going to be the, the best formation for TFC. Thinking about the qualities of Pozuela coming in as a number 10, as one of the two advanced forwards, maybe an Azorio in there, potentially a, a different addition. And then, you know, you have the, the two in midfield. I thought Azorio did pretty well today, especially first half in that central midfield area. I like him there. Yeah, I, I like it was creativity. Good. Creativity, you're right. Energy, you, you know, intelligence to move into different areas. So, you know, maybe there's a battle there between him and Delgado to partner Michael Bradley is that too. But I think with the vulnerabilities in the defence, I think they need the three slash five to help uh, to help solidify that area of the field, especially against better sides in MLS. And so with a one forward, the one outstanding forward being Jose Altador, mm. I don't see why you want to play two, but um, there's dilemma, there's questions there. He would like wide men in his team, but he doesn't have any wide men at the moment. I don't know if any are coming in. The 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 the, the um, test of four three three, where you know the fullbacks were coming inside, was disastrous mm -hmm. against Independiente. A lot of work to be done there if, if that's going to come back. And so you get this confusion, you know, with the players and and, and also with the fan base between what's best, where are we going to go? And so you can't have an identity if you have a confusion, KJ, and you've hit the nail on the head. They need to just stick to one and work on it every single day, the good and the bad for maybe a couple of weeks, three, four, five weeks of teething problems, and then hopefully start to see some improvements with that formation. Yeah, quickly, I would say, I, I think I would play a four, um, a four, three, three. The only reason why is I want Pozuelo behind the ball more than I want him in front of the ball. I yeah. don't want passes to Pozuelo with his back to goal. Okay. I, I want him striding with the game, with the ball. And I think your point is an excellent one, but... I just think he could get lost in that shape. And I think it's for me in a three with a back three, Michael Bradley plays too deep. Yeah. And I, and I just have concerns that if that's the case, you have a three. There was a moment today in the first half, in, in the second half when Jonathan Zoria picked up the ball and looked in the midfield and had nowhere to pass it to. And I just think if they play a four and you say, this is our back four and this is you, you think defending first. And I know they can get forward arrow and Morrow, but and then you, can, then you can play Michael Bradley with Azorio and Pozuelo. Then you can play Dillian, who can bring some defensive work right on the right-hand side with Altador, and then your TAM player to yeah. come on the left. Yeah. That's an idea for me. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, KJ, but then it begs the question, why did they bring in Laurent Simon in, mm. in the, the, the winter? Mm. You know, because you're bringing in a guy for such... A lot of money. No, I know. And and so far you're saying, well, I'm not sure Simone and Mavinga can mm. just play as a, as a as a two as a two centre halves because right. they're too aggressive. You need to get Drew in the team, Drew Moore, because he brings that that leadership at the back there. He's a solid defender. He's he does his again. job. He's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, he does his job. You know what you're going to get from Drew Moore. It's never going to be that flamboyant, but there's going to be very few mistakes. Mm. So you need to get him in the team. And so you say. 
okay, we've wasted, I don't know how much money it's going to be. We'll find out when it gets released, but probably a million dollars or, or right. something like that on, on Laurent Simon when uh, you can't afford to waste a lot of money in MLS when it mm. comes to salary cap. So many questions and, 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 and many, um, I guess, uh, long nights for Greg Vanney to work out what's best for his team as they try and mount a serious challenge for MLS Cup. Toronto FC are next on the field on Friday, the 29th of March against a very good interchanging attack in NYCFC. Oh, so yeah. I'm sure that'll come to debate with that as well. <clears throat> um, Sam Crenshaw, who came on Twitter on hashtag AskAFP, asks, will the Whitecaps ever win a game? <laughs> uh, they didn't win the game again. They are now 0-3 um, to start Mark Dos Santos's era. Although very difficult, obviously, to lose the second game. Yeah. A moment of controversy. This had again had a big moment of controversy. We did the broadcast on CTV on Saturday. The big moment, the big talking point again um, was close to half time again and again involved um, VAR here where you know it was interesting to watch Nina Sagafi the referee award the penalty yep. what happened here was Derek Cornelius the Canadian defender on Albert Elise um, Elise got the goal side of him Cornelius slid in had a very minute touch of the ball didn't yep. really take it out of the path of Elise and then the referee had judged that he did that he fouled the lease on the way down, gave the penalty. Um, um, was it Grajeda? Yeah, Grajeda yeah, was, yeah. was the video assistant referee. Very he, experienced. Very experienced referee. He took a look at it and felt that um, Zagafi made a clear and obvious error and asked him to go look at the uh, monitor. And yeah. so Zagafi did. He looked at the monitor and still went with his original decision to hand him a penalty. So... So many areas of this. You're commentating on the game right yeah. away, which is not easy to react right away to this. We did a halftime show three minutes afterwards as well. Um, I felt at the time, as we continue this education process for fans, particularly when we're on CTV, I just felt it was a, a difficult look to see two expert opinions be very, very different. Yeah, I know that the rule is not... Uh, it isn't black or white. It isn't, yes, it's a foul, definitely not. It, it wasn't that kind of incident. So yeah. I understand that there are a significant grey areas and the game is allowed to live in those areas, by the way. Nothing should always be definitely yes, no. definitely not. That's the way the rules are written, mate, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was difficult. I, I I just think it's difficult for me when, um, when a referee goes over and is recommended by somebody else with replay and they both had the look of the replay and they still can't come to the conclusion. That's That was my initial thought. What about yourself? Yeah, it certainly was. It, it should shows you how uh, opinionated and, and subjective that part of the rule is because you, you think that a touch on the ball is enough to say that it's not a penalty, but it's not actually enough. The ball has to really deviate from its path away from the, the attacking player. Uh, back to real time when it was happening, I saw the incident. I immediately agreed with Sagafi. I thought it was a penalty kick. Mm. It looked like a penalty kick to the to the naked eye, first time in real time. And then when you start to see the replays and you see that little bit of a, a, a touch from Derek Cornelius on the ball, my opinion changed. I thought that the Grajeda was right to suggest there was a clear and obvious error. Um, and then you get into that subjective grey area that we're talking about, KJ, where... Uh, it's such a hard one. We've had what over twenty four hours now from that incident, and we're still. I'm still thinking about it and, and going. Oh, I'm I'm still of the mind it was not a penalty, mm. but did that ball move enough to say that it was out of Albert Elise's, uh you know running path? 
Cornelius to get that little touch does sort of come through at least as he puts his foot towards the deck. He, he, you know, he, he he's free. I say this all the time, don't I? He's free to run in any kind of style and any movement that he wants. It's not his job to get out of the way of a defender's movement. Absolutely. So he comes on his foot and he goes to down. What a hard one! You and and you could see the um the 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 real issues that Sagafi was of and he was he was taking his time a lot of tension yeah tension and unsure yeah and so it shows you again that as we move into an era of technology and in soccer we we're starting to get to a point where some of these rules feel antiquated to Mm. me and they feel uh like they have to be addressed and they have to be reviewed and they have to become more black and white so do we say if the defender gets a touch on the ball, any touch before, uh, you know, he impacts the forward, then it's a fair tackle. Or do we or do we really be clear that the ball has to move direction? The issue I have here is if we say the ball has to move direction, how much does it have to move direction? Right. We're still subjective and yeah. it's still an opinion. Yeah. So I think that we need to get to a point where we can make it as black and white as possible because while it's grey and we've got video review coming in we're not losing the controversy we're still going to have these arguments whether we go to video screen or not I don't know if we'll ever lose them you know yeah. and uh, maybe we shouldn't maybe, maybe we that's shouldn't. part of the game yeah look it's like I said it's it w- this is a midnight episode tonight I wish there was an area for me to talk more about this longer and I wish I was not as tired to maybe <laughs> find my words so please forgive me here it's a it's a laid back atmosphere but I do think we need to get this out it's fascinating I don't think this is a clangor this is not something that like the week before it's not like Narinsky where everybody's going to be battering no. them you're going to get the fans from the white caps who are not going to be very happy with this of course I've seen a lot of people criticizing VAR um, for this. By the way, you know, this VAR, I'm going to talk about criticizing VAR. Manchester City scored an 88th minute winner in a quarterfinal of the FA Cup with a guy clearly offside, where the stadium was equipped for VAR and they didn't put it in because it wasn't a Premier League stadium. Right. So you want to talk about controversy? That's controversy. This is not controversy. I do think it's a great debate. Uh, there's so many layers to what, uh, why I think this is the referee has more of the feel for the game on the field than a guy sitting behind a monitor. Yeah. And I think the feel for the game factor needs to be discussed. I think the benefit of the doubt factor, I think the trust that the players and the managers have, I think even though people get mad at referees, I think they have more trust with the man in the middle than they do with somebody they have no connection with right now sitting in a VAR room. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, So I think that helped him a little bit. Upon Upon review, it's clear that maybe the VAR shouldn't have put him in that position. Do you know what I'm saying? Because at that point, I think we have to understand that when he's telling that referee, it's clear and obvious. He's almost got to make sure that that referee doesn't go overturn him in any league. Because at that point, you're kind of looking a bit comical. There's an error with the process almost. Yeah, you you know, like I I understand that people are allowed to disagree in 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 this, you know, but I I always say this in life. I, I lean on experts in life, okay? So like if you've got a problem with your car, you take it to the garage and the mechanic says, you've got this problem, this problem, this problem, and you go, okay, 
Yeah. I, I got to trust you. You know what I mean? If you've got a problem with your body or something health-wise, you go to the doctor mm. and the doctor says, we've seen this, this, and this, we've done tests. And what you do, you trust them. You go, okay, these guys know what they're doing. And I think we've got to have this discussion with these guys. These guys are experts in their field, okay? So when they give a penalty, even whether I think, mm, he's there, he's feeling yeah. for the game. He's been through hours upon hours, upon years upon years of training, and he thinks it's a penalty. Yet then the guy behind the screen goes, no, it's not. Mm. I'm starting to question the expert a little bit. Yeah. Do you know where I'm going? And I don't want to do that. I've seen people on Twitter all the time, yeah, it wasn't a penalty. Well, I'm sorry, you're sitting on your couch. I'm not going to believe you over a guy who's an expert <laughs> in, his, in his field. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So in my opinion, it was a very difficult decision for them to make. I felt for them, but I would like to see more global respect for these experts. I just felt that hindered it a little bit where two experts, after looking at it, couldn't agree in the big moment to come to the decision. Do you know what I think happened? I think that there's pressure on the video assisted referees to get to a decision as quickly as possible. Right. And so what I think happened was that Grajeda or anybody who's in that truck feels that. Yeah. They want to get there. And I think he went to clear and obvious and, and suggested a review when he saw the touch without really taking his time to analyse how much that had touched. That yeah. touch, sorry. Great point. Can't get my words out. Deviated the ball. It's late, mate. You're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he went, oh, there's a touch here. Probably my mate Sagafi's not seen this. Mm. I'm going to come in right away and, and, and you know, suggest clear and obvious because he, he got the ball first and let him get to the screen to have a look. And I think once Sagafi got to the screen, he sees the touch. Maybe he saw it in real time. Maybe he never. But then... He, in his process, which he, sh he was right to do, took his time and started to think about, you know, all the parts of that rule that come into play. And then once he'd done that, we could argue he then came to the right decision that he originally got to. And so in that moment, again, we, we fall back on the fact that the rule isn't clear enough. There's still opinions there between two experts in their fields, one who's not in the feel of the stadium, like you said, one who's sitting in a truck and trying to be clinical and another guy who sensed the situation, saw Elise pick the ball up, running at Cornelius, one of the best wide attackers in MLS, magnificent football player. We all knew there was a fair chance he was going to get past Derek Cornelius. Yep. And so he's on high alert. He sees the challenge. He points the spot right away. And, and on look at the, at the second review, he still feels that there was a, a, a you know an obstacle there for Elise to get towards the ball and stop with his original decision. This is an evolving process, and this is going to keep evolving and evolving. And we're all learning here. Everybody is learning, and things that this is a great thing about sport. It's always going to present you with something you don't know. You, we can't have a written rule for every single thing. You know, right now there's a lot of people trying to smash VAR. It's yeah. not existing very well. You know, this is the point where I think we need to say, okay, maybe now it isn't just about clear and obvious. It, you know, we do that initially to say it's got to be about clear and obvious. What about in a situation like that where these these two guys should be able to have a conversation yeah. and then go and look at it? And then, you know, and that's that comes to my point where if I think 
the next step is, and I don't know if this is ever going to happen, mate, if we can hear that conversation yeah. between the two officials, we would have a better understanding of how they came to that conclusion. We would have more respect for them, I think. As viewers would have more respect. We have tons of respect. Of course. But viewers would have more respect for them to how they come to that. And then we would have more clarity sort as of like well. Rugby. It's sort of like rugby yeah. as well. And I know that that can't come right now while on the field because poor, the poor refs can't barely ever speak to me, even in this situation. Sagafi is telling the players, I need time to listen to him, move yeah. away. So the players are in their face. But once they go over to the monitor, I would love at one point for us to be all to, to hear that. Um, quickly, before we move on to Liverpool, the Whitecaps did lose the game. They were in it in the second half. They made tactical changes. Yeah. Um, in the end, they lost out to probably a, a narrowly the better team. A difficult one at the back three that was changed at half time. Yeah. Um, so some decisions to make going forward for them. Big decisions to make. They, they were probably their best 45 minutes from an attacking sense in the second half. They looked better. Bangura came on, scored a great goal and looked more incisive, played more vertical passes forward quicker. I thought that was yeah. uh, was a, a clear sign that Mark De Santos had went in at halftime and said, guys, we're a bit too side to side here. We don't look like a threat. Got Montero into the game a little bit more. I still think there's some issues there with, with him up top, but, but I like the changes that were made. Um, really, you know, they're struggling in the left back area. I thought Elise Massive, was yeah. the best player in the park. And I, I said it earlier, he's one of the best attacking wide players in MLS. Uh, he's a brilliant player and he really caused all sorts of problems for whether it was Cornelius or PC, they just didn't know how to handle him. And, and so I think ultimately the Whitecaps are still, a, a, you know, a serious work in progress. There's a, a lot of improvement that needs to come if they're going to be in the playoff hunt in the West. I, I like a number of teams in the West and uh, I, I think there's, I hope there's a lot to come because uh, it's not really been good enough so far, but uh, a performance that was, was a little bit better. Mm. and they need more, don't they? Much work to come, no doubt about it. Like to see Rainer get involved in the games a little bit yeah. more as well, if he's supposed to be the man, you know? Yeah. So um, before we get to Shawnee in the headlines and, and, and our beds, um, Liverpool versus Fulham. Uh, Liverpool travel to the cottage and perform um, what they need to. You know, big, yeah. the biggest thing for me here was that um, the seven minutes between... 1 uh, 1 and 2 1 were fascinating. Yeah. Virgil van Dyke makes a mistake, or I think maybe the two of them, him and Alison Becker, probably half and half, maybe for me. Alison yeah. doesn't really come. Van Dyke puts his hand up, and um, the man with the red hair, Ryan Babble, scored the goal and didn't want to celebrate. <laughs> um, he, the, you know, the, the guy who had like a cup of coffee with Liverpool <laughs> just, you know, years ago. But anyway, um, he scores the goal. One of the big moments in the, in the Premier League uh, so far, yet the player didn't want to celebrate. The crowd's going crazy and he's got his hands up like Van Dyke uh, but then we had need I felt like okay here we go because I think you know it's fascinating in the in our minds how much can we can process in like a couple of seconds you'd be like how did I think about that that quickly you know and like what, what you're generating in your mind yeah for Liverpool fans that seven minutes probably felt like hours <laughs> you know because I'm sure many of them were like oh no this is our Stevie Ger Gerrard slip moment is yeah. this our three 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 goal lead up and giving it away at Palace moment is, if they didn't win the game I'm sure that would have been meltdown city for Liverpool they've cracked and in, in the end they found a way to, di to, to, to dig deep and, and, and get it done and, and it has to be said 
Sadio Mane, that man again, the most maybe the most informed man in European football right now, was involved, and that's what you need, mate. You need players to be involved and not be disappeared. And he and, and he found a way. Yeah, he found a way. He's really uh, took this team on the, the attacking part of this team right on his shoulders, and he's he's, he's been their, their best player for a number of weeks now, and he, he's bringing a nice blend of smarts and energy and, and, and sort of um, you know uh, pace and, and urgency to the yeah, attack you point, know yeah. um, so I think that that has to be recognised well you know his two partners are hot and cold Salah way more cold than he is hot in recent weeks Firmino didn't have his greatest game today but he's been a bit better but Manny's just said okay I got this team and he, he looks like he's in the form of his life he's been terrific um, I agree with you the seven minutes were very interesting they went up two or three gears which to me was impressive but it made me ask the question why were there not any gears at the start yep. you know I thought they were they were just coasting along a bit too much they should have been going through the gears a little bit earlier to get into that two or three goal lead to then maybe mm. rest some players or start to just manage the game at that moment. You're always taking a risk when you're just at 1-0 and you're, you're trying to cruise along. Big error from the most important player, you wouldn't expect that, but to then find a way, they were helped by an awful goalkeeping error from Sergio Rico. Yep. He thought he was and, playing the Six Nations, didn't he? Yeah, and then, uh, you know, that James Milner's a good mate of mine from my time at Leeds and, you know, a, an outstanding 17-year-old at the time and we kept in touch for a number of years and I was praying that he was going to put that ball in the back of the net. A, a brilliant guy, a great professional and I could feel the weight of the moment on his shoulders and I'm sure everybody who's a, a Liverpool supporter or has any connection could feel it as well. Yeah. And the one man that was the coolest man in the entire stadium was thankfully James Milner. Like it was incredible. amazing, wasn't it? Just, incredible, Just yeah. Waits in the moment, puts it into the back of the net. Brilliant, brilliant professional and great football player. The title race is on. They're back in the lead. Let's see what's going to happen. It seems like they're way more emotional than Manchester City, but they're still in this. Of they've got a lot of uh, admirable qualities, and and I think it's going to go right to the wire. Yeah, quickly on that, and we'll talk a lot about it over the next few weeks. I think they almost have to play on emotion because yeah. I think City are just better. They got better players. They got more quality, technical quality. They got more goal scorers. Um, but in order to get through some of these, they've got they've, they've got to play with the higher tempo. Yeah, Salah's a problem I'm sorry he's a problem it's been a significant problem for a few weeks now um, there's a couple of moments during the game where he just makes sign- really bad decisions doesn't make the right pass tries to go for goal guys are wide open um, it looks like so right now uh, you look at 11 players on the field every time he's like the ninth or 10th best Liverpool player on the pitch for the last few weeks that's yeah. concerning for me and Firmino might be right there with him uh, Bobby Firmino looked f- like he was freezing I know it's like four seasons in one day as typical England can be sometimes yeah. but he looked like he, he weren't interested which is a bit <laughs> concerning um, Trent Alexander-Arnold I thought was fantastic yeah he's some player isn't and he and Robertson again the wide areas were unbelievable Robertson just never stops but, does but he Alexander-Arnold what a player they've got there yeah he's yeah I think Alexander-Arnold has more talent than Robertson yeah I mean I think he could play a midfielder mate yeah he's a Standing. I think he could play midfield. His eye for the pass is is like it's something I just don't see from, superb, from English players. Yeah. I think he's got that eye for the pass from as an English players that you just don't get. Like English players in the past, they've created a lot of good players, mate, but they don't sometimes have that yeah. continental vision, as I would say. Yeah, and he's got that. No, he certainly has. I, I, it's amazing how much creativity in the side uh, service towards the, the front three comes from the two guys. Yeah. Nothing really comes from the, the midfield players. It's just fascinating to watch. And Robertson just gets up and down that left side like you would never believe. Brilliant. I think as well, weren't he? Yeah, he was. I think he just lacks 
quality at times, but um, I'm with you. They need the energy. They need to keep. They need to go full out now. Mm. Play in the Liverpool style. Go for it. Go for every single game. Don't be tentative. Keep bombing forward, and, and it's going to come from the the white guys. I'm going to suggest something outrageous, but maybe Salah needs a break. Here. Yeah. yeah. Would it would it be crazy to you know sit him on the bench for a couple of games and try and get his spark back? Would it, would he lose his confidence from that, or is it an arm around the shoulder and say I'm doing this for your own good? Mm. We're going to have an impact for 25 minutes when defences are a little bit slower. Maybe he comes on for a Firmino in a more central area because I would like to see him yeah, he's going away get from back that. there. He's yeah. always on the wing now. I'm unsure why that is. Where you know a few months ago he's playing through the middle, wasn't he more more often? So I don't know what's going to happen there, but. Um, hopefully he gets back to the form because they're, they're going to need him there's going to be tight games and they, they need a player of his quality just to unlock the door at that vital moment if he stays in this form they'll be behind City I think Alright now over to Shawnee for headlines Thanks KJ uh, let's get through these uh, pretty quick uh, I know we all have beds to go to. We do. Um, let's start with uh, a couple matches. Uh, Chelsea dropped three points today to Everton. Uh, thoughts on the match? Um, talking about energy, I thought that they had all the energy they needed in the first 45 minutes, but again, really, really poor in the second half. Let Everton get in the game with um, a, a defensive mislap from a set piece and the fact that Marcus Alonso was on the pitch. Because <laughs> I'm talking, you know, the guys just, they could have given away two penalties in two seconds in the end. He did give away one. You know, but that's how bad he was. Like, it's just, I just, it just, I just don't know how he gets in the team anymore. But in the end, Sarri had very little to explain after the game too, which I don't know what was worse, to be honest, Chelsea's team or or, or Sarri's post game press conference. I couldn't believe that he had, he had no answers to su- to say why his team was so different in the second half. You know, you you paid a lot of money to be that guy to tell us what happened. Yeah, and he was, you know, he, he was shirking the question and sort of shrugging his shoulders. Um, Two different Chelsea's. It's like they're like spoiled children, aren't they? You yeah. just don't know what you're going to get from one half to the next, one game to the next. It's all this stuff that's sort of playing in front of each other. I think they've had more passes in their their half, their defensive half, than any other team in the Premier League. And it shows you that there's something wrong with the way that they're playing. Everybody likes possession football these days, but possession with a purpose. This team are playing possession for the sake of it. They're just moving the ball around. They're, they're hoping that it gets to the feet of their, their, their one outstanding player in Eden Hazard to, to work his magic and put it in the back of the net. Because... There's, there's no uh, pattern to the attack of this team. Yeah. There's no way of playing. There's no identity, idea to, to, to sort of play a certain way. Well, much like, let's just say, a Liverpool, where we know they're going to try and get in wide areas and get balls fizzed across the box. And if teams want to stretch out with them, then they'll go through the middle. We, we, we get what they're all about. I don't know what Chelsea are about, KJ. No. We don't know what they're trying to do. And another disastrous day for them. Good day for Everton. Again... Biggest win. Like, biggest win for Marcus yeah. since and it was there. a bit like uh, Chelsea in a sense where their first half was yeah. pretty awful and then they, they turned up in the second they played the kind of football that the fans demand and that they need to do to be successful and so just a weird game for me and I'm, I'm with you and Alonso he's uh, oh. he's just he sort of epitomises their whole team he doesn't does, he in yeah. the way that he goes about it just lazy defending yeah. at times isn't it and, uh, and Higuain too by the way I'm just so slow yeah I don't know I mean I just maybe it's a bit harsh still getting used to the league but when Chelsea look when they're bad he's really bad yeah he's just not a player who's going to carry a team through that difficult times I don't think it's harsh I think his good days are behind him he's he's truly good days and it's a shame to see a you know world class player that gets that level but if, if you don't have the pace 
in this modern day in the Premier League, you're, you're going to struggle to have an impact. Uh, Stevie's Manchester United were eliminated in the FA Cup. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on today's match? <laughs> you had a little bit of fun on Twitter with this match, didn't oh, you, mate? Oh, I did, yeah. yeah. All these wheels are falling off, aren't they? <laughs> He's in the passenger seat, I think I said. Yeah. Every credit to Wolves, though, again. Again, they, they beat know what Man, they're about, they beat Man they? United in the FA Cup. They beat Liverpool in the FA Cup. Ten points from the top six in the Premier League. And they've got an identity. And at home, they're very difficult to beat as well. So uh, every credit, they just did the job on them in the second half. And they were, yeah. better, they were a better team. Probably one of the worst performances Solskjaer's had at United. Yeah, I think so. And I'd... I'd <laughs> I don't think there's been a, a lot of great performances from Manchester United. I, I, I've saw some players with better form, but I, I've not seen what everybody else is, is talking about, this new attacking football. I still see a team that have to get back behind the ball and defend. And there was that period where they were, you know, obviously breaking really quickly and, and, and showing some good attacking ability in the counter-attack. But I didn't see any periods where they dominated the game and they were they were uh, the attack of yesteryear. And so, you know, they go to Wolves and, and Wolves stick to their game plan. They do what they do best. Two players I want to mention, KD, uh, Jota and Raul Jimenez. Just brilliant, aren't they? What a great partnership. The work rate that they do to get back behind the ball and then to break as quick as they do, the, the two goal scorers on day. And, um, I really, Jimenez is getting all the attention just now, but I love Jota. I think he's terrific. I he do. Is. He's, he's what rate? He was a more a wider guy earlier in the season. Now he's partnering Raul Jimenez up top, and I just think he's got a little bit of everything to his game. So watch that lad develop. Mm. He could be something really special in the next few years. Absolute handful for opposing defenders, no question. The semi-final draw for the FA Cup uh, happened today. Watford gets Wolves. Manchester City uh, gets Brighton. Is this City's to lose? Yeah, I think City win the cup unless Gary Caldwell can lift it <laughs> <laughs> instead, which happened yeah. once for Wigan Athletic. Um, where's Wigan when you need them in the Wigan? draw? Yeah, maybe the only team that can beat City in the cup. That's right. Maybe it's Watford. Maybe yeah. maybe it's Wolves, another W team. Yeah. Uh, but a fun draw. Watford get Wolves. Man City get Brighton. Watch Brighton beat um, Millwall in a dramatic penalty shootout today. That was class. That was really fun to watch. <laughs> Glenn Murray misses the first penalty. Brighton won the toss. Play, uh, by the way, they did two 0 down at eighty eight minutes, scored two goals and then like you know that they're gonna win it at that point. Yeah. You just know the goalkeeper <laughs> threw the ball in the net in the last second of the match and a free kick and then they won the penalties. They were down one nil. Uh, they were down three two. Glenn Murray misses the first penalty and then it went to extras and they won on the sixth penalty when the poor lad smashed the ball over the bar, but you could I could see it coming. Um it it for me, the 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 elimination of Manchester United now I've started to believe that this treble, well, maybe quadruple, but forget the Champions League just for one <laughs> second. This domestic treble is now very, very much of a realistic discussion. Yeah. You know, like they're yeah. favourite in the Premier League and now they've got an FA Cup between them and they've got Watford, Wolves and Brighton. Yeah. What a chance. I know. It's uh, maybe Swansea in the quarterfinals was their moment where yeah. they, they might have slipped up and just relentless with the, with the attack in the second half to win 3-2 and you look at the teams there and it's certainly their cup to lose you, you would expect them to, to to get past Brighton and in the final how would you ever back anybody else against well I think no offence to, to, no, no to Brighton but they've got the weakest of the four here too haven't they yeah yeah I think so I think what uh, Wolverhampton sorry would have been the, 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 the toughest game mm. just in where they are on the table and, and, and what they do the way that they play uh, they've already caused City problems at, uh, at Wolverhampton yeah. at um, Molyneux, sorry, this season already. Yeah, 1-1. One, one. Uh, I'm excited to see the Watford-Wolverhampton game. Same. I think that might be a good game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and 
I make Wolves favourites, but I wouldn't be surprised if Watford win that. And uh, Brighton will try and frustrate Manchester City, and, and Chris will have a, a game plan, players behind the ball. What we expect from Brighton, but I would be shocked if if, if City yeah. don't win the, the FA Cup. And I'm with you, KJ. They're the favourites in the league. Um, domestic treble is, is is on course. Champions League is going to be a little bit tougher because if you have the type of slip they did at, uh, at Liberty Stadium mm. the other night against Swansea, then they're going to be out of the Champions League. You can't afford that at this level of Champions League, mm. but um, some great times ahead for City and can Pep just keep them motivated and, and ready and choose the right 11 mm-hmm. for the right game to win the quadruple? It would be incredible, wouldn't it? It would. I love Watford, Wolves and Brighton being in the cup because for me, nothing drives me more crazy. Maybe it's because of the team I support, but nothing drives me crazier than when you've got these teams in the Premier League who are not getting relegated, playing like second 11 teams <laughs> in the fourth round of the FA Cup. You know what I mean? Like go for the, you got, now you've got, yeah. the, you've got, that's what fans want. They want moments, mate. You've got trip to Wembley here. You know, oh, you're not going to celebrate finishing eighth. You're not going to remember in years to come that year, amazingly we finished eighth in the Premier League. No, you remember moments like this where you yeah. try and continue Ten for it, you know. You'll forever remember your semi-finals with Newcastle and all that. So you never forget those moments. That's what cups do. They bring you yeah. moments. League tables are nice. They bring you money. They give you security, yeah. safety. But it's about the moments. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll never forget them, KJ. My, my first one was '99. It was at Old Trafford. It was Spurs Newcastle. It was mm-hmm. first time I was in the Newcastle squad. Right. Rudhulet took me to to Manchester, and I, I never got stripped. But it was just amazing to be around the guys you know before the game the lead up to the game um, I'll never forget it uh, and then um, I, I think I had a groin operation before the final but watched the game at home um, and then I was back there in oh, was it 2001 where we played Chelsea we were a little bit unfortunate uh, we lost 2-1 I was back there as a as a player but as a supporter I wasn't in the squad but I remember the days down to Wembley fans are loving it a meal the night before a couple of beers and, and out to watch the game it was just uh, a brilliant experience and the, the Watford and the Wolves and the Brighton fans City are a bit more used to it yeah, they're going to have a great time that's, that's what, what it's, it's about, about yeah. you know and hopefully one of my old teams maybe a Newcastle or a, or a Burnley will we'll get there next year it'll be exciting Alfonso Davies scored his first goal for Bayern Munich today uh, does, this, does this relieve the pressure a bit on the youngster? I hope so. I mean, I've been pretty consistent in my thoughts here that I felt like any kind of minutes he gets this season is, is an utter bonus. I was thinking about this today, driving to the match, and I, I, I have to say, I don't think there's a better place for him in world football right now. Yeah. I really don't. I, I can't, you couldn't name me a team where I go, yeah, that's a better place for him. Because he's gone to a place that's in, a, and I use this word lib, a little bit lib, liberally, but turmoil. Yeah. For, but they're going to probably win the league or they're now in contention. They were fifth, you know, not that long ago. So he's still got that ability to be in a title race while the team's going through a transition. No one knows whether the coach is going to be there. So he's giving him a chance. He's playing in games. So the team's not as good where he's got no chance of getting a minute. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So he's got an opportunity. He's not going to a place where everything's going amazingly well he's occasionally getting on that's not good you need to be learning some some issues yeah. as well and then he's you know he's scoring a goal for Bayern Munich he's running in the corner flag and he's got like Lewandowski <laughs> and Ribery giving him hugs like and James Rodriguez like, yeah. it's, it couldn't be any better I'll, I'll, you know I'll probably forget the goal in time that he scores but I'll never forget the moment when he runs to the corner and he mm. slides his knees and he sort of stands up and the, 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 the joy in his face first and foremost and then the joy of his teammates guys that have won World Cups and 
league titles and Champions Leagues and coming over to share the moment with a youngster, understanding what it means. And uh, that is a, a moment in history for Canada soccer. I really yeah. believe that to see uh, one of Canada's own, to be sharing the field with a kind of guys is special. Um, to be given his first real minutes in the team at left back, it has to be added. I think that he's going to be an outstanding left back. I'm not sure that, that left wing's his best position as he as he tries to forge a career at the top levels of the European game. I think left back will be his role, and he comes on for David Alaba, <laughs> no other than David Alaba, and uh, he gets that goal. So I, I'm delighted for him. He must be doing good work in training. That's important. He needs to keep that up, and he must be doing good work with the second team. Also important, he's 18 years old. He's he's went from being a first team player in a much lower league to you know one of the biggest clubs in the world. So he needs to accept that and have no ego when it comes to that. Again, seems like he's doing that. Otherwise, yeah. he wouldn't be getting 30 minutes in a Bundesliga game when they're right back in a title hunt. So yeah, terrific and 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 really pleased for him because uh, he's a guy that works extremely hard and he's an inspiration to millions of Canadians. The Champions League draw is set. Spurs get City, United get Barcelona, Porto gets Liverpool, and Ajax takes on Juventus. I uh, don't need your picks just yet, but uh, thoughts on the matchups? Um, thoughts on the matchups? I thought Liverpool got a good draw. The Porto played them last year and just beat them significantly, didn't they? In the sixteen, yeah. So uh, they they got that. I don't know why they picked this, did the semi final draw as well. It's kind of annoying to me. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know why they did that. But anyway, um, they did it. So Liverpool get. Porto and then one of Manchester United or Barcelona. United will be very, they're going to be very, very in tough against the best team in European football, in my opinion, right now. Yeah. Messi just scored an incredible hat trick again today. Lobbed the goalkeeper from inside his penalty area. Uh, just an incredible goal. And the guy's on a mission. Yeah. And by the way, the mission is not only to win the league, but this. Champions League you know, getting knocked out in the quarterfinals last three years miserable that is nowhere near good enough for a team like that you know you can see the coach wants it yeah. Messi wants it I think he's had enough of this Real Madrid love fest for European Cups in five years they're on a mission to win this and I think United are going to run into a buzzsaw here yeah they've won the league he's won them the league yeah. already pretty much so he can sort of rest a bit in that so he's rested by getting a hat trick and on Sunday night against Betis like he does the last one was just one of the most unbelievable <laughs> chips you're ever going to see it's, it's unbelievable only Messi can score it um, the, the guy is on a mission and they're going to beat United over two legs I think I said Paris would beat United so yeah. I'm saying that tentatively but this team have way more than Paris they have resilience they have the best player of all time in my opinion and they have uh, it's a quality all over so I think there'll be too much for United I make City and, and Barcelona neck and neck in terms of quality for this title and of course they can meet each other in the final wouldn't that be pretty special when you see you know the, the sort of apprentice if you could call Messi that come up against his master and Pep that would be an interesting one uh, Pep playing against Barcelona in a Champions League final so many exciting stories here uh, you expect Juve after that wonderful victory to beat Ajax yeah. but that's going to be a good one again KG isn't it and the all uh, English clash between Spurs and Man City again you expect City to come through but Spurs have nothing to lose they have tons of quality everybody's sort of diminishing any uh, you know good from this season everything's doom and gloom would you be shocked if they cause City some major not problems not at all I actually think I've, I've got a sneaky feeling I'm just going to say it right now yeah. no picks right now but um, not a good draw in my opinion for Man City 
Speaking of Messi, um, when asked about Messi or Ronaldo in Miami, Beckham said, you never know. Uh, do you expect either player to find their way in Major League Soccer? And at what age is too old for these two? Too old, I'd say 57. <laughs> um, but then I think they'll probably still score goals. Yeah. Just get them in the area. Uh, no. I, Maybe re- James Corden can bring them to Beckham <laughs> and say we've signed him and then like just prank him. <laughs> that would be funny. Yeah, you know. Watch that statue one. It's fantastic. It's funny. He's yeah. not seen it. Yeah. Maybe he can say, oh, I brought you Ronaldo and you bring him to Ronaldo. Like, oh, great. Ronaldo's here. And then maybe he brings him <laughs> like to look like Ronaldinho or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, you never know. He said, well, do you expect either... Let's answer Sean's question. Uh, do you expect either player finding their way to MLS? Um, I do think Ronaldo will come to MLS. I don't know about Messi. Uh, what age is too old? Ah, come on. I mean... <laughs> Never really. 40? Yeah. Yeah. Although, if as he's I still said, fit, he's still in some kind of shape. As which I just will be. said, Ronaldo coming to MLS, I did remember that he has to be very careful about what he's going to do in the United States. Yeah. So maybe he won't be. <laughs> we'll just Might leave not be allowed in. Yeah. I, we'll don't, I don't think Messi will play for another team apart from Barcelona. Yeah. I think he'll retire there. I would be very or, shocked. Or go back to Argentina for a year, maybe. Maybe. I, I just He think, hasn't really got a connection there either. I just think he should retire at Barcelona. He's yeah. their greatest ever player amongst many legends. And so yeah. I just think personally, if he went to MLS or Japan or even back to his, his, his home country in Argentina, I just think it would... It would uh, it would take the shine off it a little bit. I just yeah. want him to retire as a Barcelona player. Moving on to uh, the mailbag section, uh, let's let's talk about Ask AFP. Uh, make sure to send us uh, all your tweets to at a football pod and use the hashtag Ask AFP. Uh, Michael asks, since last podcast you both picked Atleti to lift the Champions League trophy. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> yeah, not well. Who's your favourite now? We don't do predictions very well. Yeah. Oh, Stevie does predictions. No, I was bad. Well. Remember my World Cup predictions? Awful. Yeah, but we do this thing on on, on score just yes. where you're you're actually I'm the leader. leading right now of all former pros. Every prem, we have to predict every Premier League game of the season. It's utterly it, it is a grind. Um, but Stevie <laughs> and I are still going, and you are winning. So I predictions am. are working out well. This I'm is our top. Saturday mornings. Who'd you pick? Who'd you pick? Oh, I got this. One. <laughs> I did get Everton to beat Chelsea today, but well done, uh, mate. I rarely get things well. I had a bad weekend, so yeah. I probably dropped a, a, a couple of places. I'm in a tight fight. Uh, you are. At the top. Frank McAvenny and Matt Holland. Yeah, Matt won so, it last year as well, so he? He, has, he has pedigree at this he's, level. So he's the Man City of predictions. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> I was in the top 100 uh, over the whole yeah. platform. Yeah. Uh, I noticed, but I did have a bad weekend. I got a couple of results right, but I didn't yeah. get any on the button, then I got got some badly wrong. I think it was a tough weekend though. So you're I'm struggling. Hoping, you're you're yeah. a, a bit like Liverpool, <laughs> lift your energy. Um, so we'll go with uh, Barcelona as my favourite for, for lifting the Champions League. Manchester trophy. City. There you go. Sweet. I expect both of them to lose next round. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Randall right. asks, uh, why don't they penalise diving after the fact? Post-game yellows, etc. We do, I think. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, But it is a very slippery slope to go down because you are asking um, people to judge intent. And that's the problem with the rule is intent 
you know, ultimately it's hard enough to referee and to police this game as it is. And then you're asking them to, to, to look at it. And look, the d- diving is very, very difficult. I think right now I'm comfortable with getting the yellow cards for the obvious. Yeah. And those are the ones where you're like, is it a dive? Is it not? If there's any kind of question mark in the mind of an official or anybody on a review afterwards, if there's any question mark, I think you got to stay away from it because... Um, it's dangerous. You know, years ago we had the Eduardo fast and we yeah. remember that. So, um, yeah, it's 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 not a thing that's nice in the game. We no. talked about Chitarito che- che- last Chitarito, week. Chitarito, yeah. Um, but ultimately that was a clear and obvious one. So Yeah, I, it, it's a hard one to come in and penalise. I, I can only think of Nias when he was for Everton at uh, Selhurst Park against yeah, Palace. that was horrendous. He, he clearly dived. He, he won inside the penalty that they put in the back of the net and he got suspended for the, the next game as he looked at it. I can't think of any other Good ones, memory, KG. Mate, after midnight. Yeah, amazing. I can remember that one. Uh, so uh, it's it's an impossible one to go back and, and give punishment. I do think that it needs to be addressed because, you know, I'm sick of diving and in this world where it's impossible to defend, yeah. it's another thing that comes into it for a defender where as soon as he even touches something, doesn't even touch, the, the forward's going over. We, we need to look at it. But oh, I'm uh, sure it wouldn't have been like to have been that opponent if someone went over by you and just oh. d- deliberately dived and then suddenly they look up and you've got your, as, you, as, as you would say, your head, your head would right be... <laughs> <laughs> Leaning in. <laughs> Leaning you'd be leaning in with your head and then you'd be sorting him pointing out. Pointing in his face. Pointing in his face. You dive, you dive in, beep. <laughs> yeah. oh. That would be good to watch again. Nathan asks, uh, if Wolves could uh, be a legitimate top six contender anytime soon. Yeah, I think they could be. Um, look, are, are they that far away from Chelsea right now? They're not really an overall quality. Look, the next step for them is obviously to sign more players, which... I mean, I don't know if they've got any connections to any decent agents, but, the, you know, Wolves, <laughs> but they might have. You know, they could find a few more players. Um, you, you know, they're going to keep Raul Jimenez. It looks like they're going to spend the money on him. Jota, we've talked about. Moutinho was class again. Neves is going to Neves is going to stay. Ruben yeah. Neves is going to stay as well. If they can keep all these players, the next step for them would be to get a few more quality players in. But would you be surprised next season over 38 games if they were better than Chelsea, for example, the way they are right now? So they're going to have to be... It's going to have to take another step up in consistency yeah. and signings and it's going to have to take one of those big six and they are big in terms of money to have a significant down season so I, yeah. I look at Chelsea right now as, as a team in turmoil in terms of they could lose Hazard the recent record of signings has been woeful Yeah. Uh, so why couldn't Wolves get in the top six? No I'm, I'm with you I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility I just think it's going to be really challenging the first thing for me is uh, they need to keep Nuno Santo mm. it's absolutely crucial it's as teams are going to start looking at him maybe above and think about recruiting him as a manager that that would be a step back obviously for Wolves and they're going to have to go and spend again and they're going to have to do something really brave they're going to have to replace guys that have been very good for them Yeah, and that's going to be tough because loyalty comes into it um, and you, you think areas and I don't want to pick people out but where they've had great seasons but really if you are going to challenge the top four you, you, you need better players within the areas you need a stronger squad mm-hmm. so you probably need the guys to hang around and still have the same attitude and uh, uh, you know and personality they've had this season yep. while you bring in someone else and as I've known from the past at whatever level that's hard to keep that squad unity. Not too many changes though because you could do you, well, could that's wrong, what I mean. you could go the wrong way couldn't you? That's why it's brave to go and change the guys because yeah. they've been excellent there's improvement there and in, in, in some of the younger players and will they get 
substantially better enough to really play in the top four who knows mm. only Nuno Santo knows that he's done a terrific job so far but I, I think that'll be tough and then you expect Chelsea to probably go and change their manager yeah. whether that's a positive or not who knows and go and spend well if they can with a transfer ban go and spend some money Chelsea are the one that you, yeah. you look at but then Arsenal are going to spend we're not talking about one team here you know we're talking about them replacing uh, you know three teams to get into that kind of fourth slot and I, I'd see them miles away from City yeah, and Liverpool and, and a fair distance away from Spurs it's unprecedented almost what they've accomplished here no, they've been outstanding but history is against the question a lot of the times teams that do do that that they do come back mm. you know so we'll see whether they can they can they can kick on again uh, Magical Martial asks if Liverpool or City will prioritize the league over Champions League. Um, I don't know if they will. I, I mean, by by changing the team, I'm not. I don't think they will. No chance. No, I don't think they will prioritize it over the over that. I do think Liverpool by getting Porto will have an opportunity to keep a couple of players out. It may be one of the games. This is not a slam on them, but if they do what they did last year and go in five 0 well, happy days. You got another yeah. game you can take off. Robertson suspended for the first game, uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. But because um, Moreno has to play probably, which is not ideal. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they will. No, I just... The one thing about this, these teams is just they're, they're, they're like two massive heavyweights going toe-to-toe every single week. It's absolutely relentless. Yeah. There's the top level they're playing at and particularly City and the squads aren't that big no. either. They're not that big. They're just not... They're not there's just no way they're going to make five or six changes and be in these games. The consistency of... 15, 16 guys is remarkable mm. in both these sides. Yeah. They've, they've been tremendous. And um, I, I think that, I think Liverpool would rather the league than the Champions League. And I think City would rather the Champions League yeah, than the Premier great League. Point. And it's you know a bit of a crazy thing to say because these guys, the mentality is just win everything. But if push came to shove and you, you made them make a choice, that's what I think would happen. Um, but they'll be going for it and all all counts um, yeah I think I'm with you KJ Porto are dangerous mm. they are dangerous and I think they're better than when Liverpool played them last yeah. year Marega was magnificent in the last uh, the last round so keep an eye on him up top for Porto a player that I like a lot pace and power and finishing ability. yeah he replaced the Bubica when he got yeah, hurt so. but yeah. he's getting better all the time so so keep an eye a bit of banana skin for Liverpool potentially you would expect him to go through um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. There's two teams that go all out for everything Incredible. that they're in, yeah. so expect that. Quick win. Sandra asks, Navis or Courtois? Courtois, for me, saying that knowing that he's had an absolute stinker of a year and it's not gone well for him, and Zidane's gone back to Kayla Navas, hasn't he? Yeah, so, first game. First game, so... Um, but for me, I've always been a Courtois fan, um, as you know. Yeah. I've always liked him, uh, but... I'd, he has I think I don't know this but I just feel like he's got a little bit of a mental problem yeah <laughs> he, he looks a bit of a troublemaker a little bit don't you think he's always arrogant kind of, for me he's always kind of in the news yeah. a little bit and like there's, he just gets that kind of I don't know there's, he's some, always there's, saying some, there's something about him that rubs think? me the wrong way I try and put that aside when I analyse people and players as a goalkeeper there's a lot to like I actually think a few years ago he was one of the best in the world Yeah, but he has definitely regressed no question yeah I, I mean I'm with you I think he's better than Kayla Navas but I, 
a hybrid of the two would be a good goalkeeper yeah, because true. I think that's why Zidane went back to Navas because I think he like his, likes his mentality more mm. than Courtois and and Courtois is a hard guy to like. He's he's very opinionated and mm. and very self assured and, and and sort of says some things that are uh, you know unbecoming of a professional. He'll, he'll call people out and a very high opinion of himself. So I'm sure there's a lot of people all over the world that are maybe sniggering a little bit. Of the, you know, he's kind of from Greece um, and he's still going to get back there he, he's still one of the world's best goalkeepers but uh, at the moment maybe a bit of humility would serve him well last but not least the best keeper results are in and yes. thank you so much for sending Ooh, them in great. Yeah. Um, we have three sort of pools and sort of how it came in but okay. there's the top tier uh, the top three, uh, De Gea, Allison, and Ederson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second level is uh, Lino, Loris, Fabianski, and Kepa. And then in the f- fourth is Schmeichel, Foster, Rui Patricio, and Pickford. Okay. Um, I would say that Pickford sort of falls in and out of the top ten, similar to what you were saying mm-hmm. last week. Uh, and then yep. on top of that, um, what are your top five? Oh, wow. Um, do, we, do we have to give order or can we just give five? Order. Right? Order. Please. Right now, based on form or go. based... Just go. It's oh, a bit <laughs> late. <laughs> feeling. A bit late for that, no? Um, okay. Uh, De Gea, one. Oh, um, controversial. Edison, two. Alison Becker, three. Um, Kepa Arizabalaga, four. And right now, I'm going to go with um, Ben Foster, five. Yes. Uh, old teammate of mine, Ben Foster. <laughs> like the old sneak into my fifth as well. There you go. Number one. Ederson, number two, Alison Becker. Okay. Number three, David De Gea. Number four, I'm going to go for Schmeichel. Okay. And then number five, I'm going to go for Ben Foster. Nice. There you go. That's not bad. You know, we're upon the spot there. It is 12, almost 12 30. Ask us next week. It might be different. Yeah. By the way, this, this, before we finish, I do want to get to a point where we'll, we'll do one shot. We're having our production meeting on the air, guys. Um, so I, w- I want to do like a top 50 players of the Premier League season. What, what do you think? We rank them both and we come together with like our own rankings. Do you think that'd be good? Yeah. Sounds, sounds great. Let us know, everybody, if yeah. you think you'd like that. Because you guys like the rankings. And I used to do this with you, Sean. I used yeah. to do top 100 players of the season when we were at the, the score they, they were always fun and brings out some good stuff so oh, it makes so many people angry it does the best part <laughs> of that's everything. what we want to do you know we're, we're, we've been going for hours so we're in a little bit of an angry mood but that'd be good no so yeah, get your thinking cap it. on top 50 players of okay, Premier League I'll probably just make it up on the spot like always that's fine that's what we're, we'll do that there you go. that's what we just did right now isn't it um, but anyway thanks for listening everybody and remember rate and review um, thanks to Shawnee thanks to Clay and all the yawning and all the tiredness that we're going on right now Clay's we thank- fell asleep he's <laughs> in the back there no, I hope this is recording no, he's doing his job come on without him we wouldn't be nobodies Um, thanks to everybody who listened and um, yeah it's been a good week and we'll chat with you soon good night